Welcome to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast, where we bring you sermons from our teaching team at Flood Church, Lilongwe, Malawi. For more information, you can go to floodchurch.com. Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're reading verses 1 to 12. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. When the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the month. Then he read from it, in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him at his right hand stood Matitia, Shema, Anaya, Urija, Hilkiah, Maseya, and at his left hand, Pediah, Mishael, Malkija, Hashum, Hashbadana, hmm, Zachariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodija, Masaya, Kelita, Azaria, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, say to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord God. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Amen. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Speak to us this morning. We pray that the joy of the Lord will be our strength as we dive into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. So, I mean, if you are looking for baby names, 
Nehemiah 8 is the chapter for you. Hodija, Masaya, Azaria, Josabad, quite a variety. You're sorted. You're sorted. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was reading this, uh, this passage of scripture and a couple of interesting things popped out for me, which, which we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, but just, just trying to recall what had happened for us to get to this point in Nehemiah. Now, you remember uh, Ezra came first, rebuilt the temple, then Nehemiah comes, and then he starts rebuilding the walls. Uh, and we, when we get to chapter 8, in chapter 7, the Bible says, the walls were now complete, but their houses were not yet rebuilt. So there was still a lot of work to be done. They had done much of the work, but there was still a lot that still needed to be done. And when I was thinking about this, I started wondering how we live in this constant tension between the progress we have made. You look at your life and you see how far you've come and you're like, yeah. But then at the same moment, the tension is this. While there's so much progress you have made, there's still so many ruins that you're confronted with. So this is where they find themselves. They, they've made so much progress. The wall has been rebuilt. The temple is there. But when they look around as well, their houses are still not built. They are still trying to adjust to this new land. Their relatives are back in Persia. They, their families are still scattered apart. So there's still so much that is wrong and so much good has happened as well. And isn't that the reality of our lives? How we have that tension where the progress is there but still so much that we can point to which is not well. And I think it's important to always find that balance. And I think it's a healthy tension as well because imagine if it was just one-sided and everything seems like, wow, this is how far I have come. I think when there is that balance whereby there is the great work that you can see and say, oh, wow, this is what God has done. And there's also the areas in your life that you're like, I need to get better at this. I think it's a healthy balance because it, it makes us grow. We become stronger as we navigate that tension. So, so these guys are here. They... That tension is there. They can see the progress, but they can also see the ruins that are still there. Now, what I love about this is, I, I, I always picture Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and Ezra as well, sort of as being a guide, you know, around how you can navigate through a rebuilding process. And I was thinking around what happens to us when we realize the ruins in our lives or when we are confronted with the ruins in our lives. I mean, what happens? What, what are some of the things that happen? And I was trying to reflect on my life when I've been faced with difficult situations or things are broken around me. What happens to me in those moments? Now, one of the things that happens to me, which I hope uh, is probably getting better with time, is that sometimes I found that my worship is affected. My, my relationship with God is affected. I, I start questioning whether he is there. I mean, are you there? Are you here right now? If you are so good, then why is this happening to me? So I always found those questions popping up. My relationship with him was affected. Now, the other thing that could happen, which used to happen to me a lot as well, is I'll just realize in those moments how weak I am as well. And, and if you look at the, at, the, at the wall, the wall was a symbol of strength right it was a defensive structure and imagine if 
You were living in the city and there was no wall because it was that defensive structure that made you feel secure and protected. So they obviously felt at some point before the wall was rebuilt that they are not safe. They, they are not as their strongest. They realized how weak they were. And the other thing that would happen to me as well is the word of God sometimes I felt in those moments it lost its centrality in my life. It, I, it wasn't my default running, running place. I mean, I, I, and, 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 I, and I wish to grow in that whereby every time, you know, the word of God is like the default place that I run to. But I find that most of the time, sometimes when stuff starts getting bad, I, I don't run to his word like that. Maybe it comes as an afterthought, you know, after trying to fix it. Then when I realize, hmm, it's not working, then I, I go to the word of God. Those are some of the things that have happened to me as I try to navigate the ruins in my life. But now Israel at this moment as well, so as they were navigating these ruins, they went through the same process. The temple was rebuilt, which was a sign of the restoration of worship, right? So, so as part of the rebuilding process, number one, they had to fix their, their worship, their relationship with God. They, they, need to, they needed to come back to this place where their God was their God. You know, I love the Old Testament, how it always, God always talked about how I will be your God and you will be my people. So God was restoring that with them. And the second thing he did was the walls, right? He, he, he began to, to rebuild the walls around their lives and they started getting a sense of, oh, we're actually protected. He's, he's still right here with us. Yes, there might still be a lot of broken places. There might still be a lot of stuff that is not well, but we are protected. But the third thing that was lacking now where we find the story was the word because if you study the story you would actually realize that uh, most of these guys were with Nehemiah in the city they had never actually had the word of God it was it was foreign to them because they were in Pesha they just moved back now before they could finish the rebuilding process it was not going to be complete without re-establishing the word of God as the source of life, right? So, in chapter 8 now, Nehemiah and Ezra, they gather all the people together. And the, the, the interesting part about this is they gathered them and they were by the water gate, right? Uh, by the water gate. Now, water is symbolic of the word as well in scripture, right? Wash them clean by, you know, the water of the word. So, water speaks of the word in scripture. And when Nehemiah uh, and Ezra gather the people around the water gate, uh, the water gate was next to a place or a spring called Gishon. Now, Gishon was the only source of fresh water for Jerusalem. So they were gathered by the source of fresh water. Now, as they were gathered there, they began to declare the word of the Lord to the people. Now, they were reestablishing the word of God as the source of life because we do understand that Matthew, the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 4, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Nehemiah was now beginning to show the people, listen, we are only one word away from God lifting us up out of our ruins because when a proceeding word, when a fresh word from God begins to come forth, it can change a situation. I imagine when you're looking for a solution and you dive into the word and it gives you one word because just one word from the Lord is enough sometimes, right? 
Have you ever been in that place whereby you are crying out to the Lord and you're saying, I don't know what to do, and then he just gives you one word, and that one word becomes the word that you hold on to, and you run with it. So they are now reestablishing the word and saying, listen, if we're going to come out of these ruins, yes, we've rebuilt the temple, the walls are getting better, but we need to get the word of God just by standing by the fresh water, the fresh word of God, which, which gives life. Oh, I love that. The word of God. So the question this morning is, how central is the word of God in our lives? Something to think about. Now, the problem then comes. They are gathered. They are listening to the word. Some of them probably for the first time, right? And I would like to believe these were good people. Because, I mean, they took the step to actually come back to Jerusalem. Uh, We read previous chapters where they were fighting for their families, trying to rebuild. They were good people, right? Good, honest people. But now the problem arises when they start listening to the word that was being read. Now it says here in in verse number 9. That as they read the word of God, right? As the word was being declared, the last part of the verse said, For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now hold up. I thought the word of God was supposed to be a source of strength. A source of comfort, right? So what happens here? Now the Bible is clear. It really gives us a clear picture about what was happening here. Because they were reading the word of the law. They were reading uh, from... uh, Maybe probably the first five books. And, and, and I mean, have you ever read Leviticus and felt like, hmm, so working out here, right? No, no, I, all scripture is profitable, is good. But, but the, the, the problem here was this. When you are in your ruins, right? Oh, imagine this. Let me give this picture. You, you are getting ready to go out and then you do your eyebrows, right? Then you go to the mirror. And when you look at the mirror, the problem with the mirror is it shows you what's going on, right? And then it shows you that the bra is done the wrong way. Now, what happens after it shows you? There are two ways you can respond to it. Number one, you can be so frustrated that you take out everything. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm going out like this. The other option is you try to fix it, Right? But the problem with the mirror is it doesn't come with a YouTube tutorial on how to do proper bros, right? So that's exactly what the law does. You see, the law requires, the law requires, it shows you the standard, but it doesn't show you how to measure up to it. But then in this passage, I love this passage because it's a picture of grace appearing Right there in the Old Testament, Nehemiah then stands up. He was quiet all along. And Nehemiah actually means comfort. And funnily enough, Ezra means help. So we have comfort and help. And I mean, if you go to the New Testament, I will send you another comforter. He is our helper. So so we see the Holy Spirit popping up right here. And he says, hold up. No, 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 no. It's not about what you're seeing in the mirror, the standard that you can't keep. Because Nehemiah stands up and then he says, listen, do not cry. Do not mourn. Do not weep. This is a holy day unto the Lord. He's doing something. So grace appears in the picture. So I want to say to you this morning, 
It doesn't matter what the mirror is showing you when you look at your life and you discover the ruins and the patches that are there. Because the temptation at that point is, I need to fix this. I need to do my bro and fix it this way. But what happens most of the times when you try to do it ourselves, you mess it up even further. And grace appears and he says, listen, you don't need to do all of that. Just rejoice. Just rejoice because the Lord is doing something in your midst. And that's a word of encouragement this morning. How we can actually begin to find joy even in the midst of our ruins. Amen. Amen. So there are three ways that I want to share. Just, just three points. <clears throat> three ways. How do we find joy in those difficult situations? How do we actually find the joy? Now, what is joy, actually? Let's talk about that for a second. Now, there's a slide that's supposed to pop up. I love these definitions, and I was just trying to look at different definitions of joy. The first one says, it is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart, a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. Rick Warren defines it this way. He says, it is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be alright. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I love that. The last one says, it is a confident abiding in the vine who is Jesus knowing that all our life derives from the vine, but it is also the future expectation that everything is going to be okay as we draw from the vine. This is what joy is. Now, the difference between happiness and joy is happiness is normally found in moments, right? When a good thing happens, then it triggers happiness. Now, joy could also be found in moments as well. But we can never define joy to be a moment because it is more than that. It is, again, the Bible says it's a fruit of the spirit. So what it actually means, I'm not much of a gardener. But for you to get a fruit, there has to be a seed that's planted somewhere, right? So if it is a fruit of the spirit that the Holy Spirit is producing in us, it means there's a seed of joy that's inside all of us, right? And he's producing this fruit inside of us, right? So it's, it's more than a moment of joy, but it's a deep state of contentment. It's, it's this knowledge, this abiding knowledge that, you know what? I can see the ruins around me, but I know. But I know that my God is able. It's, it's, it's that inner knowledge and that deep sense of hope and confidence in him, knowing that I don't derive my source of things from anywhere else except him alone. So it doesn't matter what seems to be going wrong. I draw my strength from him. It's, it's just like this inner thing that you have. And you can't define it with a moment. That is joy. Now, so how do we find joy when we are now faced with situations? When we are in ruins and things are not going well in our lives. So number one, we find joy. Through his word, 
when we hear his voice in his word. Now, now let, me, let, me, let, me, let me clarify what I mean by this. Let's go to verse 9 again. Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, say to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, quick question. Have you ever been in that place where things are not well? In, in actual fact, let me give an example of myself. There was a time when college, when I went to college, first year of college, I grew up in a Christian home. Parents were elders. I started going to church when I was two weeks old. That's how churched I am. Two weeks old, they were already carrying me to the temple. Um, so I grew up, I mean, Bible study, uh, church, even church cleaning programs, like everything that happens in church was not optional. Like you would know that you won't find anyone else, but you'll find the Chivanga kids there. It, it, it was like that for me, right? Then I went to college. First year of college. First test of freedom, right? And I was lost, man. I, I was lost. I couldn't find my way back. Fell into depression. And I remember one day, started having suicidal thoughts as well because I had done some pretty messed up stuff in those few months. And I'm, I'm at this point where I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. Jesus, take me home. So I remember one day I just walked out of my apartment. I was staying right in the middle of the city. I walked out of my apartment and I was weeping. So I was just sobbing. I don't know how I was crossing the roads, but I, I'd reached like rock bottom, like literally like rock bottom. So I, I walked into the street and somewhere along the way, some random man was sitting in a minibus a driver of a minibus, a church minibus. I got to learn that later. He saw me from a distance crying, stepped out of the vehicle, and just came and hugged me. He hugged me for a very long time. Then he put me into the church office, and, you know, uh, the pastor listened to me sob for 30 minutes because I couldn't say anything. And then he was just so patient with me, like, take your time, it's okay. It was, it was beautiful. And... God did a work in my life that day. But when I was in the middle of all that process, I started hearing so many voices that were speaking to me. The enemy, my friends, people that I thought were my friends, and everyone was trying to tell me what to do because I didn't know what to do anymore. And sometimes when we are in ruins or in difficult situations, it becomes hard to filter what voice is coming to you, right? Becomes so difficult. So sometimes we end up listening to the wrong voices and we even get up. If it's, if, if it's a pit, it's kind of like you're digging it deeper and deeper and it's, it's becoming more difficult to come out of it. But in this instance, where this guy's head, because the, there was a voice that they were hearing here, right? The problem was they had Moses and they missed the heart of Jesus, the voice of Jesus in it. Now, let, let, let me explain what this means. You remember in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus trans is transfigured before 
uh, his disciples, right? Moses and Elijah show up. And then Peter, being Peter, I like Peter. He's like, like me. Lord, it would be nice for us to build some camps around here. While he's just saying that, the voice breaks out from heaven. And the father says, this is my beloved son. Hear him, right? Hebrews also tells us the same thing. Hebrews chapter 1, it says, in old days, God spoke through the prophets. But in this day, or in this present times, he has expressly spoken to us through his son, right? So the thing about scripture is this. I believe that the ultimate goal of scripture is a revelation of the person of Jesus, right? So when we read scripture from Genesis to Revelation, what we should be looking out for is what? Hearing his voice. Because sometimes you can read the words and miss his voice in it. They heard the words. They heard the law being spoken to them. But they missed his, his voice. Sometimes it becomes difficult for us when you look at the mirror of the word. If you don't capture his voice, what is he saying to me? Now maybe some of you are looking at me. How do I do that? How do I hear his voice? Now there's no signs to it. In John, Jesus says this famous words. My sheep... Hear my voice, not that would try to hear it. No, my sheep hear my voice. So the question is, are you a sheep of his pasture? If you are, then you do hear his voice. So number one, we will find joy through his word when we hear his voice. When we connect with his voice, what is he saying in his word? When you begin to hear his voice in his word, I'm telling you, this spring of joy begins to pop up on the inside of us. Number two, we find joy... When we understand his heart for us. Now, he's always trying to reveal his heart. We find joy when we understand his heart for us. Now, I further got on to say, joy is unlocked in understanding. When we capture his heart and understand his love for us, we can't help it but rejoice. When we capture his heart and really get a sense of what he's saying to us, what his heartbeat is for us, what is the heart behind the words that we're reading, we can't help but rejoice. Because when we capture his heart, we begin to understand he is for us and not against us. We begin to understand that I might be in the midst of ruins, but I'm approved, I'm loved, I'm the pleasure of his eye. He takes pleasure in me. That is his heart towards us. So we can't help it but start to rejoice. We can't help it but find joy. The moment we capture his heart, what is he saying to us? Now when you capture his heart, you also begin to understand that he doesn't condemn you when you are in your ruins. He doesn't. What Israel did at that time when they heard the word, they thought, uh-oh, he is not happy with us. This is the end of us. We are just not good enough. They missed to connect with his heart. But Nehemiah comes up and he rescues the situation. Then he says, hold up. That's not the whole point. The whole point of the law showing you of your shortcomings is not to show you that you are not loved, but it is to show you how much you need a better Nehemiah. A Jesus who shows up and he says, listen, I know how messed up it is. I know how things are not going well, but I love you the same. I want you to come as you are. The good thing about, you see, the law requires, but grace enables. Because when you tap into grace, it begins to enable you to become the person that you want you to be. So the law says to you, you're not good enough. Grace says, I know you're not good enough, but I can make you. 
grace enables. So when we capture his heart, we begin to understand right there in my ruins, I am loved. He's singing over us. Oh, I love the book. I love Songs of Solomon. Songs of Solomon is this beautiful picture of a lover who is singing over his beloved. And I sense that is his heart for us. He's always singing over us. He's always saying, you are my beloved. I love you. Even in your ruins, I love you. But I love you enough to take you out of your ruins. Is it because his love is not just to keep us in our ruins? No, no, no. He loves us enough that he will love us in our ruins, but he will take us out of our ruins as well. So when we begin to connect with his heart in his word, we have no option but to break out in joy. And lastly... Thank God for water. <clears throat> Lastly, now, I have the record for the longest sermon in flood this year, a record I'm not pl- proud of. So I promised Pastor Humphries I'm doing this in 30, and I'm on 27. Good timing. So, number three, <laughs> we find joy. We find joy when we choose to celebrate and rejoice even in the midst of our ruins. We find joy when we choose to celebrate right there in the midst of our ruins. Now, it doesn't take any faith, literally, to celebrate what has already happened, right? Because it's already happened. It takes faith to be able to celebrate while it's just still in the middle of the situation, while it's you're not yet out of it. So, joy is an expression of faith. It actually anticipates breakthrough before it comes. So, right there in the middle of the ruins, because you have joy. Now, what joy begins to do is this. I always picture joy to be like a spring that is bubbling forth right there in the middle of the situation. Joy begins to anticipate. It begins to sense, uh uh-uh, something is about to give. Joy begins to celebrate because it's anticipating a breakthrough that your eyes have not seen. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Listen, you don't need to wait for it to happen because you know joy is that deep knowledge that he is with me, he's walking with me, he's there with me, he's taking me out of it. It's that deep sense of knowledge that my God will never leave me nor forsake me. So it might look like I'm, mm, I love the song. You know the song? It might look like I'm surrounded by I because sometimes it looks like we are so deep in our ruins and all we see are the walls around us. But what we don't see in that moment is how much he's surrounding us with his love. So joy chooses to look beyond the walls that you see and he chooses to jump and sees, oh, he's surrounding me. So joy begins to celebrate right there in the midst of the ruins. So how do we find joy in our ruins? My challenge for you this morning, my challenge for us this morning I don't know what ruins your life is. And I know the ruins I'm facing. I know the difficult situations I'm facing. I mean, it could be, it could be, 
I don't know where the school fees is going to come from, right? It could be, I don't know how, how this marriage will be fixed. It could be, I don't know how God is going to come through for us and provide for my family. Whatever it is, that difficult situation. Now, I, I, I don't know any formulas that are given in the word. But one thing that I've come to appreciate about joy and celebrating is this. When you begin to look through the eyes of faith and begin to have this deep-seated knowledge and understanding that God is with me right here, right now, in the midst of my ruins. You have no option but to begin to celebrate and rejoice. So Nehemiah says to the people, Nehemiah says to the people, go, celebrate, rejoice now. Verse 12, all the people went their way to eat and drink. Now, these were people who were just crying a few seconds ago. All the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly. Yet their situation changed? No. The unbuilt houses, were they still there? Yes, they were. Were their families still far away? Yes, they were. But you know what changed? Their perception changed. Because it's a matter of perception. It's either we walk by sight or we walk by faith. Joy chooses to step out of sight and into faith and says, I will choose to trust God that he is with me. So the people began to celebrate. They began to go have a merry party and they threw a party right in the midst of their ruins. So my challenge for you today, my challenge for you this morning, can you go to the last scripture? My challenge for you this morning is this. What ruins are you facing? Maybe it's time you started thinking of the party that you could throw right in the midst of your ruins. Because when we choose, remember joy is a choice. You choose to celebrate. You choose to say, I can see that it's not going well, but I choose. So I want to challenge you this morning. We will trust God at his word and choose to celebrate right in the midst of our ruins. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice. Always. How many know that always means all the time, every time? Pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've been asking the question, what is God saying to me right here in my ruins? What is God's will for my life when things are not going well? Well, I have a simple answer from you. Right from the book of Thessalonians, this is the will of God for you in Christ. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in all things, give thanks. For this is God's will for you. Thanks for listening to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast. Please send us your feedback by commenting below or by emailing floodlilongwe at gmail.com.